Welcome to Hope Renewed, the podcast of PIR Ministries. Thanks for connecting to Hope Renewed, the in-depth podcast about pastoral renewal and restoration. I'm Tom Jameson, and along with co-host Sean Nemechek, we explore the issues and challenges pastors face and help cultivate a renewed hope for healthy ministry lives. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Hope Renewed. I'm your host, Sean Nemechek. Today on the podcast, we'll be exploring the often hurried nature of pastoral ministry. Eugene Peterson once wrote, The word busy is the symptom not of commitment, but of betrayal. It is not devotion, but defection. The adjective busy set as a modifier to pastor should sound to our ears like adulterous to characterize a wife or embezzling to describe a banker. It is an outrageous scandal, a blasphemous affront. Those are some pretty strong words. Today's guest, Alan Fadling, is going to help us confront our busyness and find a better way. Alan's mission is to show leaders how to get perspective so their leadership flows from a full soul and out of healthy rhythms of rest and work. As a trained spiritual director, speaker, and consultant, Alan works with local churches, national organizations, and leaders internationally. Alan is the author of An Unhurried Life, An Unhurried Leader, and What Does Your Soul Love, all published by InterVarsity. He has also self-published two books entitled Inhaling Grace and The Way of Presence. Alan Fadling, welcome to Hope Renewed. Thanks, Sean. It's great to spend this time with you. So, Alan, you're you're founder of an organization called Unhurried Living. That's an interesting title. Share your journey with us uh, and uh, tell our listeners how God led you to this place. Well, so unhurried, I, I, you know, I've been in pastoral ministry most of my adult life in in the local church in a particular you know parish or church for, for the first half, and then mo- more recently, the last twenty, I've more so been alongside mostly pastors. Uh, as an encourager, as a mentor, coach, uh, trainer, whatever. But this whole theme of of unhurried really is rooted in uh, the dynamics of my own soul. So one of the things I like to say is that when I say unhurried, what I don't want a pastor to hear is I'm suggesting, you know, you cut your to-do list in half (laughs) or or just start canceling appointments. You know, it's um, hurried is not mostly about your calendar. It's mostly about your soul. So when I talk about an unhurried life or becoming an unhurried leader, what I'm trying to say is I would like to become the kind of person or the kind of pastor who makes time for what matters most. And I just know that when I'm anxious or when I'm desperate for people to like me or when I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable, um, my hurry is one of the outcomes of that. Or maybe another way to say it is it's a symptom of that. Uh, I, I, begin to frantically look out there for something I already have in my relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so again, unhurried is, is sort of a, a big picture word to describe what, what for me has been trying to learn how to live at the pace of Jesus, at the pace of grace, at the pace of peace, at, at the pace of love. Uh, that's just a little bit about what that means to me. Would you describe yourself as a naturally unhurried person? So it's an interesting question. I would say my early years as a pastor, not even close. Um, I don't know that I was type A. I think I was driven for other reasons than that kind of type A dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, my drivenness was more rooted in anxiety. It was rooted in a, in a kind of people-pleasing 
that I think is not uncommon for at least some of us who are in ministry leadership roles. So no, I would say, and in fact, the fact that in my late 20s, I began to hit some pretty serious burnout would say that hurry was a problem for me. I mean, 28 is is a little young to be hitting like, you know, end of the journey. Like I was running out of gas. I was coming home and laying on the couch in our guest room with the lights off, staring at the ceiling. Mm. You know, it wasn't a good place for me. And so I had really a kind of crisis of ministry. It wasn't really a crisis of faith. It was a crisis of ministry. I can't keep doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, for another few months, let alone a few more years, or at that point, I'm thinking a few more decades. I'm not going to oh, last. Yeah. And so um, I wouldn't have used the language of hurry or unhurried that far back, but God brought some mentors, 10, 20 years older than me. They were living what I would now call a far more unhurried life. They were living really at the pace of Jesus. They were not being driven by their own worries or anxieties or need to please others or accomplishment orientation or whatever. They were, they were learning to minister and shepherd others uh, in, from a rootedness in Christ that was peaceful, uh, that was buoyant. And I was really drawn to that. I, I really mm-hmm. needed that. So going back to your question, no, I, did, I was not an unhurried leader as I stepped into ministry for the, for the first major chunk of it. So what is it that causes leaders, and especially pastors, to become so hurried in their lives, to have that unsettled, that uh, anxiety-driven leadership? So I think there are any number of reasons. I can can tell two, and I've hinted at them already in my comments so far. One reason I became so hurried was my own anxiety. Mm. My anxiety is a way of assuming, if I were to boil it down, that what I need, I don't yet have. It's out there somewhere. I need to go acquire it. I need to go achieve it. I need to impress enough people. I need to do something out there so that I can go locate the piece I do not currently have. Mm. This is my vision of, of, of my condition as a pastor. And, in, and therefore, it, it drove me to you know, achievement and accomplishment and activity and busyness. The problem was... And I don't think any of us would argue with this. The piece that I'm so desperately trying to find through ministry accomplishment or through serving more people or through growing a larger organization or whatever, I actually have. Mm. I already have it. I don't think I have it. My anxiety tells me I don't have it. And so I go frantically, busily, hurriedly chasing after it, trying to find it. And part of the unhurried, journey that I've been on is realizing in my relationship with God, these things I'm desperately chasing, I have. I start with them. Uh, They're not a paycheck to be earned. They are a gift I already have. So so I mentioned anxiety. Control kind of comes alongside anxiety for me. That's another dynamic that has a tendency to drive uh, pastors into hurry. The second one I've hinted at is um, I went into ministry in part because I felt a genuine calling as a young Christian, uh, a college student, to ministry as my vocational journey. I think that was real and genuine. Right alongside that was another uh, reason I went into ministry. I was in a church that highly valued the teaching of the scriptures. 
I loved studying the scriptures. I was one of the weird guys who would read commentaries. I was a total dork and nerd when it came to that sort of thing. Um, and then when I would share my insights, I would have some comment like, oh, that's very insightful. Oh, that's a mm-hmm. great comment. And later it became good sermon, Pastor Allen. Well, I started living for that. Mm-hmm. And what, what it was for me is that my, uh, you know, that those words of affirmation and appreciation were sort of like crack <laughs> for my, my recognition starved soul. Yes. And I became addicted to it. Now, of course, the problem is it worked like every other addiction works. I needed more and I got less out of it as I went. And, and then, then just pretty soon there, there wasn't enough you know, good sermon, Pastor Allen's or their, you know, the varieties of that, there just wasn't enough of that to fill my need for recognition. But that drove me and still sometimes drives me now. And again, it's that idea that what I desperately need is, is something I have to go achieve or acquire or get from somebody else instead of what I, I most need as a person and as a pastor actually in my communion with God, I already have full and generous access to. But when I don't remember that, when I forget that, my anxiety, my hunger for the approval of others, my my perceived need to control stuff, all of these have a way of driving me and making me hurried. Yeah, I found in, in my own experience of burnout, uh, a lot of what drove me to that hurried state of my soul was um, criticism. Uh, that it's kind of the the other side of of wanting that approval and and praise from others, uh, whether that criticism was internal, uh, you know, from my own strong self critic, or whether it was coming from outside, from the congregation or the community. I found that when I was criticized, I got into kind of a frantic state uh, in my soul. Um, have you found that 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 was true in your life as well? Yeah, I think that's really well said. And I think you're right. It's sort of the other side of the coin of uh, what at least some of us uh, feel as a hunger for the affirmation or even the approval of others. I think that has been my experience. And I think part of my journey has been, you know, learning to hear the voice of God. You know, this is in the spirit of we already have what we need. Learning to hear God say, Alan, just as he says to his son, at the baptism, you are my beloved son. Mm -hmm. I'm pleased with you. Um, I love you. I'm delighted with you. You know, I think a lot of us have seen that in the rhythm of the gospel where that comes, it's at the beginning of the gospel. It's not halfway through or at the end. And so the father doesn't give those words to Jesus as something he's earned. He doesn't Mm -hmm. have an impressive resume to which the father then speaks those words. He has, he's begun. His resume is a blank sheet. Maybe as a carpenter, he's got an impressive resume. But in terms of stepping into the sort of ministry he was beginning to do at that moment, it's the beginning. It's a gift. I found the more I can trust those words, the freer freer I am to hear my own self-criticism and the criticism of others with just a little bit less bite Mm-hmm. It, it sinks a little less deep. I feel less like it drives me or controls me. Not to say that it doesn't hurt me or bother me, but it doesn't seem to have the root system it used to have. 
uh, in me that um, you know that it that it once did anyway. Yeah, it's it's amazing to me how often I was able to apply the truth of who we are in Christ to other people's lives, but when it came to myself, I tended to forget the gospel. And a major part of that coming out of burnout was hearing those words of who we are in Christ again. Um, yeah, and it's so healing to to be able to be in that space. Well, Alan, you, your books. Um, really helped me at a time after I came out of burnout and I was starting to live a new uh, way of leadership and pastoral ministry. Um, I learned from you that Jesus never seems to be in a hurry in the Gospels. Uh, what does an unhurried life look like? Yeah, so, you know, when I when I was writing An Unhurried Life, there were a couple of seeds that sort of had been planted in me that sort of grew that book in me. Uh, one of them was a comment that Dallas Willard had made to John Ortberg when John mm-hmm. was joining the staff of a very large Midwestern church. And and it, and it's a long story. The short version of it is that piece of spiritual counsel was, John, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And then, you know, John was ready for, for some more comments, and that was all Dallas had for him. And I just thought combining ruthlessness And hurry is genius. Mm -hmm. It really is genius because we live in a culture that will only affirm our hurry. There's Mm -hmm. nothing in our culture that suggests that we slow down. You know, if you you read a dictionary, definitions for the word fast are very positive and peppy and happy. And definitions for the word slow, not so much. Mm -hmm. Pretty negative. So, and then the other was a, a moment where a friend of mine, Bill Gaultier, um, was having a conversation with Dallas. And again, a long story that you could read in the book, but the short version of it was Dallas said, I think that if I had only one word to describe Jesus, the word I'd choose is relaxed. Mm. I remember the first time I heard that, I wasn't even sure that was good. <laughs> my, my, my first vision of relaxed, I'm what are you talking about? He's like Jesus sitting in a lazy boy with ESPN on, you know, and a bag of chips. What is this relaxed? That doesn't mm. sound right. And I remember at the time it drove me to really wrestle with that question. Is Jesus relaxed? <laughs> and my subsidiary question, and is that good? Um, and that little by little began to be translated into is Jesus unhurried? Mm. And, and, what would it look like for me to, to then follow an unhurried savior? So shortly after that sort of insight, um, I went away on a retreat. And really what I did other than sleeping and eating is I just read the gospels, read, reread, reread. And I began to think the vision of Jesus as relaxed or unhurried is, is beautiful. It's compelling. It resonates with what I understand Jesus uh, having come to do, which is to lead us into an abundant life, a life where if we more fully trusted him, it would be almost like rivers of living water would arise from within us and flow uh, to the blessing of others. So again, on the positive side of unhurried, I think unhurried means for us as pastors, it means we have time. We make time for that which matters most. And if you read the book, there are four chapters in particular that maybe really highlight a facet of that idea of 
how is it that Jesus is unhurried? And all of the chapters touch it somehow, but four in particular are rooted in some gospel texts. One is Jesus was unhurried enough to pray. Mm-hmm. When we as pastors get busy, when we get hurried, often the first thing to go is just our own personal communion with God. And then we're shocked when we're burning out. <laughs> where, where we wouldn't be shocked if our car was out of gas and it doesn't go anymore. Right. I mean, that wouldn't surprise us. It wouldn't surprise us if we went out to our yard after a big storm and saw a branch that had fallen off the tree, and then it starts to wither over the next few weeks. That wouldn't shock us at all. We understand that that's how things work. But somehow in our own lives as pastors, we, we can lose touch with the fact that when our communion with God grows thin, our lives begin to wither. And, and ironically, we become more hurried because now we're trying to get something out there that we've lost touch with in here in our relationship with God. Um, So unhurried enough to pray. A second is unhurried enough to care. Jesus was focused on people. Mm -hmm. When I get busy, when I get hurried, um, I imagine my life as being full of a lot of things I have to manage. Instead of being a community of people I get to live in relationship with. Those are different visions of the exact same uh, scope of responsibility that any one of us might have as a pastor. So unhurried enough to pray, to care. A third is unhurried enough to see temptation coming mm-hmm. and to say a simple yes. When we're hurried, we're, we're in this blinder tunnel vision sort of place, and we we just miss the realities of temptations that are crossing mm-hmm. our paths, and we just stumble right into them. And then the fourth would be unhurried enough to make disciples, which is to say what it takes to come alongside a few like Jesus does for the majority of his time in the ministry, especially in that last year, year and a half or two, to really walk alongside a few and help them learn the ways of the kingdom, mm-hmm. help them learn how to live, well, how to live this unhurried life that Jesus was living, to follow him like apprentices, follow a master. Um, when I get busy, when I get hurried as a pastor, I just don't feel like I have time to feel like it's going to take too much time to come alongside others to help them really grow. I'd much rather just teach a six-week course. I know how to do that. doesn't take much time. I know how to prepare it. But to really walk in the messiness of the lives of a few others and help them discover that this kingdom really is good news, Mm -hmm. that there really is peace in place of my anxieties. There there really is a kind of gentle humility in place of my self-promoting pride, that this kingdom is a beautiful place in which to live. Which is all the more reason why, for me as a pastor, tending my own life is so critical. Mm-hmm. Because mostly what I give other people in the ministry is my life. And then, yes, of course, I teach them things and I say things and I offer counsel. But mostly what I'm giving them is my life increasingly inhabited by Christ. And that's not self-referencing. It's just, it's just how our human lives work, how they were meant to work, you know, in yeah. this unhurried way of God. Yeah, yeah. Pete Scazzaro says uh, we can't give what we don't already possess, and if we're not uh, walking closely with Christ, we can't give Him to others. Uh, that's yeah. absolutely true. I think the thing that really struck me and and kind of shook me out of my hurry uh, was I think it was in the Gospel of Mark where it talked about Jesus withdrew by Himself to pray as was his custom. And those words at the end, as was his custom, jumped off the page at me. 
And, and I realized this is not my custom. This isn't my way of living. Um, you know, I don't have that close communion with the Father that I need to. Uh, and that was a major part of my recovery from burnout. So my question for you is, how does a leader's relationship with God affect his or her sense of hurry in life and ministry? What I find is that when I have lost touch with the delight and the love of the Father for me, I've already said it in a couple different ways, but what that does to me is it, it gets me into an externalizing mode of living. I really think my life consists in the things I accomplish, mm-hmm. in the things I acquire, and in the people I impress. I really think my life is out there somewhere. Actually, this is eternal life, Jesus says, that they would know you and the one whom you've sent, you being the Father, the one being sent, of course, Christ. So one of the most important moments of my day is that moment in the morning before in, in my house before anyone else is up, when I just seek to hear again somehow or another in the scriptures or in prayer or maybe through some spiritual reading I happen to be doing in that particular day. I, I just want to hear again. I want to remember again the voice of the Father saying, you are my beloved uh, son. Um, I'm pleased with you already right now. I'm pleased with you. And then I go into my day with that sense of growing confidence. And I'll say, um, just to make this very real time, this last year has been the wilderness into which I've found myself mm. wandering after having heard that voice so many times. You know, in my baptism, in my own baptism, and then uh, later on, this last year has tested that in ways um, because a lot of the reference points for my sense of identity have been totally upturned. Mm-hmm. As they have for a lot of us, you know, all of us have different sorts of experiences, but it's been such an isolating year. Yes. And so one of my great challenges has been, might there be a way, might God be inviting me to see these ways in which I feel isolated as opportunities for solitude? You know, the way in which you said, you know, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. That's, I think, the NIV way of saying Luke five sixteen. Mm. Often, so you know, as was his custom, you know, you you caught that. For me, it was often, often. I I I have to be honest. There were times where that was not something I did very often, mm-hmm. and yet Jesus did. And so, uh, one of the things I'm often saying to pastors is, you know, look, if if this was something that was a pattern, a rhythm, a life giving rhythm, I think, I almost imagine that when Jesus withdraws to lonely places, he's there to listen and to to watch again for God's message of affection and delight and love. I don't think that's the only thing he's doing, but I think that's part of what that often withdrawing is. It's, it's the moment where his sense of identity is reestablished and affirmed. And then he goes out into the work of ministry to express that identity. We have a way of getting that reversed. We try to establish our identity in the work of ministry. And that's like, you know, an identity treadmill. You know, you can run the speed up to four miles an hour. Now you're walking fast. You run it up to five or six. Now you're jogging a bit. You run it up to even more. Now you're almost sprinting and you're going nowhere. And a lot of us are trying to establish our identity through our hurried activities when, you know, that I, that identity is something that God is wanting us to remember moment to moment, day to day as established. It's decided. There's not a question mark on my identity. Temptation mm. would say there is. But there, there's no, there's no question mark on my mm-hmm. sense of value, 
my sense of being a delight to God, my sense of being treasured, you know, by God. Mm. You've mentioned a couple of things that make me think of uh, the idea of Sabbath or rest in the Lord. You mentioned taking a, a time for a retreat, uh, of spending some time in, in solitude. Uh, what role does rest play in uh, spiritual leadership and unhurried living? So actually, yeah, I think it plays an absolutely strategic role because here's the thing. It's very hard for me to hear the voice of God expressing his belovedness to me when I'm busy doing great things for him. Because I will almost immediately translate those into, you're doing great stuff. I really love you. Mm -hmm. That's what I hear. I just hear, look at all this great stuff I'm doing. Then God says, I love you. And I just connect them. And I assume, well, of course, what he's saying is, you're just one of my best workers. You're just, <laughs> you do just some of the best ministry. And I just love you as a result, which just keeps me running. So I actually desperately need moments in my day, my week, my month, my year, little moments, longer moments that are absolutely not defined by accomplishing things. Mm. I need five minutes of absolute silence and stillness where I'm not answering an email or preparing a sermon or, uh, or doing any other you know, accomplishments um, where I'm just being. Be still and know that I'm God is one of the hardest commands for a lot of us as leaders to obey. And it is, it's command language. Mm. Be still is hard. Yeah. Be busy is way easier <laughs> than be still. Uh, and so I think uh, for me, it's, it's those moments in a day, it's those longer, you know, blocks of time in a week or in a month where I stop, I feel the itchiness of I'm not accomplishing anything. And then God says, Alan, you're my beloved. And I can't attach it to anything I'm achieving or accomplishing or anyone I'm impressing. Mm -hmm. The only real option I have is simply to receive it. And even then I wrestle because I'm afraid I don't deserve it. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid I don't have this coming. I've still wired that way. I've still been formed that way in so many ways. You know, I'm two days from turning 60 as you and I talk right this minute. I'm, I'm still wrestling with this, with this uh, issue. But part of my recovery is those moments, those days over the course of my weeks and months and years where I stop and I don't accomplish anything. Doing nothing is a critical leadership activity. Mm -hmm. It actually is because it it's, has a way of fertilizing the soil in which my life and then my work is growing. It enriches my consequent, my, my subsequent contribution to people. It doesn't take away. Um, you know, too many of us see that as a math problem. Well, if I have 40 some or 50 some hours and then I take away so many minutes or hours, then I'll get less done. If I take away time to be silent or still or, or to just be instead of do things, I'll get less done. The opposite, I think, is true. How many of us uh, can easily look at days in our lives over the last year where we spent almost an entire day busily doing nothing? <laughs> yeah. You know, we didn't actually serve anybody. We didn't actually do something that that bore fruit, that had kingdom you know, significance. To, to use Jesus' language, I appointed you to go and bear fruit that lasts. Mm. So what I've found is when I take that time to step back, as part of my ministry job description, not as a thing I do in the morning before I come to work, yes. you know, yeah. but as a part of my rhythm of life as a pastor, I find it enriches the time that I'm then counseling or teaching or thinking or praying 
or writing or whatever it may be. Um, so I think it has an absolutely strategic in the book An Unhurried Life. I basically I say is good work grows best in the soil of good rest. That's really a, a functional vision I have of rest and solitude and silence and all those other sorts of practices in my life as a ministry leader. That's so good. I mean, if you talk to people who are are on the kind of cutting edge of creativity, uh, one of the things that you'll find is that they need long periods where they're doing nothing but thinking before they jump into the, the creative work. I think our souls are, are kind of the same way sometimes. We need those long periods to kind of let things settle out and uh, allow maybe some of that anxiety, the, the things that would cause us to hurry, uh, allow them to kind of come to the surface so that we can apply God's love to them uh, and, and remember our identity in Christ and security in Christ. Um, yeah, I think that's well said. And from that place of, of peace and creativity, we're able to be so much more productive uh, in ministry in, in the right things. Do you find your times of rest and silence and solitude with the Lord tend to refocus the direction of ministry for you? Yeah, I think so. For example, one of the rhythms I've sought to practice, it's been a little harder this year just because some of the places where we do it have closed, but mm -hmm. we'd take a day and actually an overnighter every month, my wife and I, and we would go away to be on retreat. In a sense, what we envisioned ourselves doing was following Jesus to the lonely place. Mm -hmm. um, and what I have often said is that that's been a pattern for over 30 years for me now. My best ideas come from that place. Yeah. And I'm not there to look for good ideas. I'm not even mm -hmm. there for that. I, I'm not going to the retreat center because, wow, I can't wait to get those six great ideas that I'm going to have by the time this 24 hours is up. I'm going there to to just be in the presence of God. But the fruit of it, the, the fruit of the seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness is all these things like creativity, like wisdom for hard decisions, like peace in the midst of a turbulent uh, season. You know, all the things that I need as a leader and that I'm tempted to seek first, I almost always find them as a fruit of seeking God first. Mm. And at least for me, those moments in a day or there's sometimes extended windows of time in a month or even in a year, those are the moments where I see my life, I, I get a refreshed vision of God, and then my vision for my life and work is like a reflection of that vision of God. It's like what I envision God calling me to do comes clear in its being a reflection of how I'm coming to see God in fresh ways in those moments of solitary prayer, uh, those moments of resting, those moments of listening instead of talking, those moments of being rather than mostly doing. Um, so I, I see those receptive times. It's like the mm -hmm. inhale side. And then I go into my work and I find that I'm exhaling. I'm offering, I'm giving, I'm maybe Abrahamic-like. I have been blessed and now I'm going to be a blessing. Yeah, and, and this is the pattern of Jesus, right? The, being with the Father and then being with the people. And uh, for some reason, as pastors, uh, we think we can uh, do it the other way around or something, that, that we don't need to spend the time with the Father, but we really do. Uh, a few years ago, I had a chance to speak at the installation service of a brand new pastor. Uh -huh. And one of the things I told their church was, you need to give your pastor time for rest in the Lord. Consider it part of his job description. Put right 
write it into that that document and make sure he's doing that first. And that's something I try to tell every pastor that I coach through burnout and uh, try to tell myself from time to time, too. Absolutely. No, I, I, I agree completely with that. That's so critical. I, maybe another way I would say it is I would love to think that we as pastors, at least one of the things we're seeking to do is to live out the good news in our lives, mm-hmm. that our lives would be increasingly gospeled. That feels like a Eugene Peterson like <laughs> saying it. <laughs> um, that our lives would become the good news we are proclaiming. Mm-hmm. That people would look at our lives and think, "Wow, there there is something that seems inviting about how my pastor is living their life." And to do that, I think you need the kind of time Jesus made time for the as was his custom often. Um, stepping away to simply hear the voice of his father once again. I think he was often in a place of natural beauty, perhaps. Uh, He certainly was outside his normal places like the house, or if he had had a church office, that's not where he'd be doing this. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, Um, so I think, I think seeing this, you know, to your language as part of your uh, job descriptions, the technical language as part of your calling. Yeah. Really, part of your vocation is to be a model of something for a community of people. None of us will do that perfectly, but it is a trajectory that we want to be on because it's very hard for people to buy good news if our lives don't look much like you know good news. Burnout doesn't look like good news much, and mm. anxiety doesn't look like good news too much, and frustrated anger and irritation doesn't look very much like good news. It's human. Mm-hmm. I'm not pointing my finger because I'd have to point them at myself, <laughs> but we're on a journey. Yeah, We're living into this good news. We're going to try and watch both our life and our teachings carefully. That's, that's critical. That's so good. I think uh, sometimes we need some help uh, in hearing the voice of the Lord um, in, in quieting our souls. Uh, what value does spiritual direction bring to a pastor or leader? So that is a part of what I do with, you know, my time, and I benefit from meeting with someone in spiritual direction, you know, once a month. For me, especially in, in my role as a leader, mostly giving care to others, you know, I need a shepherd. Now, I have the Lord as my good shepherd, mm-hmm. and that's true. It helps me to have another person who with, with whom our only relationship is for me to just share what my journey with God has been like for the last month and not just share the positive victory stories, you know, like how good I'm doing, <laughs> like I'm checking in, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm getting a good, you know, good spiritual life, Pastor Allen, you know, sort of thing. But instead uh, just talking about, of course, yes, the things I'm grateful for and celebrating mm-hmm. in my life with God these days, where I'm finding struggle, where I'm not sensing God with me when, when I'm in a season where it feels like I'm showing up for these moments of prayer and God forgot the appointment and when mm. that's what it feels like. And that happens to us. Um, it's that listening ear of a spiritual director that can co- sort of help me navigate, help me see myself in a context, help me see myself, especially when we've been meeting for a number of years, you know, in the case of my current spiritual director, they can remind me of things that I've talked about before, things that mattered to me or things that I've wrestled with before or things I've expressed a desire for. But then I forgot, as we're known to do, 
and I will get a reminder in our conversation. Just a gentle, gracious, you know, a number of meetings ago, you said this. I wonder if that I wonder if that fits now, especially. I wonder if that's coming back again as an invitation for you. So part of it is just having someone whose primary role is to just listen to my own life with God and help me grow in that conversation or relationship. Mm. Uh, whether that's a an official, formal, trained, paid, you know, spiritual director kind of person, or whether God gives you a, a little bit more seasoned man or woman uh, who comes alongside you. Uh, to listen well, to listen wisely, to listen with compassion. Um, I think we as, as, as pastors need that kind of relationship in our lives. Well, that's so good. Before I get to our final question, just uh, wonder if you could share with our listeners where they could find you online. Uh, tell us a little bit about your podcast, maybe, and uh, yeah. then we'll jump into the last question. Well, so, um, you know, the name of our ministry is Unhurried Living. That's based on, you know, my first two books with InterVarsity Press, An Unhurried Life, An Unhurried Leader. So you can find the, the hub for finding us is simply unhurriedliving.com. There on the website, you can access our weekly podcast. Uh, my wife and I uh, have conversations with, you know, I have a lot of conversations with authors my wife has conversations with women in leadership about certain sorts of things. I'll give you a little uh, preview to say that this fall, we will be launching a second podcast. I will be taking over our Unhurried Living podcast and really moving it increasingly in the direction of leadership. My wife will be launching a podcast that will be especially focusing on women in positions of influence. And so that's those are coming. Right now, though, we do have our weekly Unhurried Living podcast. I'll also mention that we have a, um, a weekly email that you can subscribe to on the homepage of our website. And then finally, the last thing I'll say is that my wife and I both lead an online community of leaders. Uh, mine is called Unhurried Leaders Community. Hers is called Replenish. And it's just a monthly Zoom opportunity to be together with a group of other leaders to kind of explore these, these themes that you and I have been talking about and to find a kind of community of people living this way. Sometimes a lot of us, I think, feel isolated. If we feel drawn to this, it doesn't seem to be the popular message of those to whom we're accountable. And so having a community of like-minded uh, fellow journeyers can be a real encouragement. Well, that's really cool to hear that uh, you're going to be breaking into two podcasts. And uh, I think there's some real value there. Jem has has some great wisdom to offer. And I really appreciate her perspective on your podcast from time to time, too. Oh, so uh, that, that'll be that'll be really good. So let's just close with uh, this is a question we ask everybody who comes on uh, the podcast. What words of hope can you offer to discouraged pastors? I think where that takes me is to say, Jesus is not overwhelmed by this season in which we find ourselves. It's been a hard one for so many reasons. It's been hard. And it's very tempting to allow the, all of the challenges, political dynamics, racial dynamics, uh, the pandemic and its dynamics, all of these things that are filling our, you know, our news feeds and our thoughts. Jesus is not overwhelmed by this. Jesus, well, Jesus has faced worse, if we have to say it that way. But better than that is that Jesus is with us as a good shepherd. We are not navigating these waters alone. You know, his, his favorite image for uh, our collaboration with him was the image of a yoke. 
And I've come to believe that when he said, take my yoke, it was not as though he handed over to us a yoke that we then took and carried alone, but that it was more so he was in one side of the yoke saying, join me in this yoke. Let's do this together. Let's do this life and let's do this work together. To me, that's immensely hopeful because I'm not alone and I'm not even carrying the heavy end of this yoke. That, that's what I would share with my friends in ministry. I once heard that uh, yoke illustration explained in a, in a powerful way, and maybe, uh, maybe our listeners will, will benefit from this. Uh, when a young oxen is being trained, he'd be partnered with, with an older one. And if you were to, to allow that young one to plow the field by himself, he would go as fast as he can and uh, run out of energy halfway through. Uh, but when you partner him with the older, more mature one, uh, that older one would slow him down, would unhurry him, and uh, together they would plow the field. And eventually, over time, he would learn to go at that slower, more deliberate pace and be more productive in the long run. And I think in many ways, that's the invitation of Jesus in those words and the invitation of unhurried living and uh, what you're doing. So, Alan, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us and come on the Hope Renewed podcast. Uh, it's been a great pleasure, Sean. Thanks for the invitation. PIR Ministries partners with God and the church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration to cultivate new hope for healthy ministry lives. You can learn more about us at our webpage, pirministries.org, or email us at info at pirministries.org. Thanks for joining us for Hope Renewed, and remember, the hope Christ offers will never put us to shame. Music